Awesome. All right. Let me just set myself up and we will... Thank you. So uh, last week we started our Baptized in the Spirit um, series. Um, for those who missed it, um, there was a lot of foundational stuff that we covered. I think is absolutely necessary that you listen to the podcast. But I do apologize that I'm coughing and sniffling my way through that message. And it's not the most comfortable, but you should have been here. That's what I reckon. It, it is a great... Um, foundation. I loved uh, uncovering why God calls us to be baptized in the first place. And we talked about how uh, repentance takes us to the gate of the kingdom, but the spirit is the life of the kingdom. And one of the things that I was, have been thinking a lot about is that this whole idea of being baptized in the spirit, why doesn't God just give it to us? So that we're already in it. And it's like, woohoo. And then the more I started thinking and looking into this, I was like, maybe God has. What if God has already poured out his spirit and he's not holding back on life for each and any one of us? That the life is already available for us. You know, in Joel chapter, uh, let me just find myself, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, this is a passage that was used to talk about the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, as we Pentecostals should know, was the day that the Spirit was poured out. And uh, it fell firstly upon uh, the people in the upper room, and, and, and they started speaking in tongues, and then they got this bonus, and they started preaching, and the church was birthed from it. And they look back at Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, and this is what it says, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your, on, on, on how many people? All flesh, all flesh right? Not just some flesh, not only the repentant flesh, not only the, the special ones who are specially commissioned uh, for the life that I have given to them. It says that my spirit has been poured out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. So if you want to know how old you are, do you dream or do you see visions? There's a clear divide there. Even on the male and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So the spirit has been poured out on all flesh. Not even just those who have received special prayer for the spirit. But the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. It's been poured out on your Muslim friends, on your Buddhist friends, on your atheist friends. The Spirit has been poured out. After Jesus, Spirit is here. We're not expecting God to pour out a new Spirit that hasn't already been sent. God is not withholding his spirit, and therefore he is not withholding his life. But the problem is not so much about whether God is pouring out his spirit, is whether we are recognizing and partnering with it. You see, many of us, we stop the prophecy of Joel chapter 2 there because that's where it actually does stop in Acts as well. That's what they, they, they use. But the prophecy actually continues. Let's read it, verse 30. And I will show you wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Kind of fun. Before the great 
an awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there, are, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, for among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Very cryptic, right? Basically, this is language of the day of judgment. It's the day of judgment. This is the day of judgment in the, in the mindset of the Bible isn't one of uh, left behind. If you think left behind, you're in the wrong space. Those are the kooks. Those are, that is not what the Bible describes. The Bible describes that there is a judgment because God is now saying with what I have given to you, earth, are you going to respond to me or are you going to be in rebellion to me? And that's why the day of judgment is often seen as a day of divide. It's a day of dividing one half of the world with the other half of the world based on whether a person has responded to God or whether a person has sat in and lived in opposition to God. That's why we read it about in here that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those are the ones that have responded to the Spirit and have then come to him. But then there are those who therefore have not called on the name of the Lord to be saved. There is a divide between people. But more than the divide between people, why it uses all of this really like almost violent, scary language. But it's weird because they use that to talk about the hope of the new kingdom. See, the day of judgment is not just about a judgment of a person. It's about the bringing in of the kingdom. The day of the Lord isn't so much a day where you go to court as much as it is that we are experiencing the kingdom of God in its completeness and its entirety. When you read the book of Revelation, you're not supposed to be focusing on the beast. You're not supposed to be focusing on the dragon or the harlot that rides the dragon. Those things are imagery for all the different things that are like somewhat already happening in our world. What we are meant to be focusing on is that God's kingdom wins and that God's kingdom will be established. The new heavens and the new earth and God will reign here on earth with us. This is theologically speaking known as our eschatology, eschatological hope. Eschatological hope. This is our hope for the future. As Christians, we are not having a hope that God will possibly one day beat the forces of evil, etc. No, our hope is that God will 100% establish His kingdom here on earth. But I want you to then think about this whole idea of the day of judgment, coupled with the prophecy about, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. What's that about? Because to me, in my very Greek kind of understanding and mindset, it sounds like God will pour out His Spirit and the day of judgment will come. All right? You get what I mean? And I will pour out my Spirit. You will see visions and you dream dreams and the day of the Lord will come. So what is this all about? And we see this as well in Luke chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. We used this passage last week. I did mention that I'll explain it. And this is John the Baptist explaining to the people who have come to him. He said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
And we kind of sometimes stop there, but there's one more verse, guys. It says, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What is that final verse about? It is again bringing our mind to the day of judgment. Judgment day, end of times. Our eschatological hope. The kingdom coming in its fullness. <coughs> Excuse me. So as I was studying for this series, one of the things that came out that I had never understood before is that the Spirit is not just about some power that we get, but the Spirit is the promised kingdom that is and is to come. Let me say this again. The Spirit is the promise of the kingdom that is and also is to come. So we will read about this and he will baptize you in the spirit is and he will bring his winnowing fork and separate and there'll be unquenchable fire. That's the kingdom that is to come. You see, when we talk about the life of the kingdom, we're not talking about the life of the kingdom for me to nest and to cocoon, and to have a nice little home in my throw cushions, and all the softies, and all the nice things in my home. The Lord is not empowering you to have a nice home. The Lord is empowering you to prepare for the kingdom that already is, and yet at the same time is also to come. This is one of the paradoxes of our Christian faith, that Jesus would say that the kingdom is already here, but then he would also say that the new kingdom will be established on the day of judgment. Well, the day of judgment is isn't here, so is the kingdom here or is the kingdom not yet here? Yes, both. Why? I don't know. What percentage of the kingdom is already here? Yes. Our minds can't fathom and understand what is going on. But what I started to see is that, oh, my, my eyes have been way too narrow about what the Spirit is all about. I started to think about, oh, no, Spirit, you need to empower me to, like, you know, deal with my sin and, and, and you know, to, to evangelize and, and to speak to my friend and maybe speak to that girl that I liked that was ages ago. I've now already married. Help me, help me to love back better. I was like, hang on, no, no, this is about God's kingdom. This is about God's kingdom. If you don't have, no, let me say this. If you're not partnering with your Spirit, you're not partnering God's kingdom. If you're not partnering with the Spirit, you're not partnering with God's kingdom that He is already establishing here on earth. So why is it and how is it that the Spirit is poured out on all flesh, but some people will partner with it and some other people won't? What's that all about? I want to show you a couple of passages that this week when I looked into it, it got me really excited and also really scared. Luke chapter 7, verses 29 to 30. And let me give you the context. John the Baptist had sent a few of his disciples to go talk to Jesus. And they wanted to ask Jesus, Jesus, are you the Messiah to come? Now, this John the Baptist was the guy that was preparing the way of Jesus, right? But now he's in jail and he's hearing about what Jesus is doing. But then he's like, is this the kingdom? Is this what the kingdom is meant to look like? I'm not very sure. I thought the kingdom would mean Romans overthrown. But they're here. In fact, I'm in their prison. This doesn't look very nice. 
I'm not sure that I put my money on the wrong guy or not. <laughs> and so he wanted to ask Jesus, and this is what Jesus said. Go and tell John, verse 22 to 23 in Luke 7, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Why did Jesus say, blessed is the one who is not offended by me? Maybe it's because the kingdom is kind of cool, but also a little bit offensive. The kingdom operates in ways that is not necessarily nice and neat and always pleasant for me. John had been working for the kingdom and that put him in jail and he wasn't very happy about that. And he was like, is this the kingdom? He was like, don't be offended by the kingdom. Don't be offended by God's ways and his plans because it looks different to how you expect it. Blessed, happy are those who are not offended by me. And then Jesus goes on and he teaches the crowd some really weird teaching. He says to them that no man born of a woman is as great as John the Baptist. That means basically in all history, John the Baptist is the greatest human being that has ever lived. That's what he declared John to be. But then he says, but the least of the kingdom is greater than he. Why? Because John the Baptist's mission was to announce the coming kingdom, preparing the way for the Lord. And so he brought people, as I mentioned last week, repentance to bring us to the gate of the kingdom. But John the Baptist wasn't operating in the kingdom. He was operating on the outside of the kingdom. He was operating in bringing people to the kingdom. And so Jesus was saying, guys, you got a greater opportunity than that guy. He's awesome. He's the best that has ever lived, but you get to be in the kingdom. And the least of you in the kingdom has something so much greater than John will ever have. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? And this is their response, which is what I wanted to focus on. Verse 29. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too. Why does it say, and the tax collectors too? Because I think Luke wanted to point out that Jesus said that the poor have received the good news and the tax collectors were there. Tax collectors weren't poor. When we read the whole thing about the blind seeing and all of that and the poor receiving the good news, sometimes we go into social justice mode, right? We go into all, only those who have been really oppressed. No, no, I think he's talking about all people who are sick and all people of all stations of life that are poor in their hearts but not necessarily in their lives. The tax collectors were rich physically, but they were extremely poor relationally. They were poor uh, uh, psychologically. They were poor spiritually, and they received the good news. They were part of the poor that received the good news. So when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. I read that and I went, what the flipping heck? Anyone ever read the Bible and you go like, nah, doesn't make sense. Let's let someone else talk about that. So I really sat with that and I was like, man, what's going on? Does going through water baptism actually do something to people? 
Because it seems to say <clears throat> that those who were baptized with the baptism of John, which is the baptism of repentance, those who have been baptized with the baptism of repentance, when they heard what Jesus said, they declared God is just. But those who did not receive the baptism of repentance, they rejected God's purposes for themselves. And I do believe that when we go through the waters of baptism, it actually does bring a grace because I think the, the God that we serve, whenever we obey Him and we do whatever we ask, He asks of us, when we obey, I think we'll find that He's more than willing to meet us in that moment. So I believe that there's something there, but I think that the thing that is really important here is the idea of repentance. And we spoke about this last week. Repentance is about us changing our minds. But more specifically, is changing our minds to want to work things in our way, in our purposes, and saying that God's purposes are what I need for myself. This is what is important. If we talked about, let's say, this pulpit is the kingdom. Repentance is, the picture of repentance is that I'm walking away from the kingdom, but I repent and I turn and I come to the kingdom, Right? And so those who had already taken action to turn to the kingdom and they heard what Jesus said, they declared God as just. What does it mean that God is just? It means that he is justified in doing whatever he wants to do. In other words, God is right. So when God says to do something or whatever God purposes, God is right. They declared God as right. They said, wow, you want to make me the greatest of all times. Wow, you are right. <laughs> it kind of is what they're saying. You know? But then those who have not repented and they heard what Jesus was saying about the least of the kingdom being greater than John the Baptist, they rejected God's purposes for themselves. That's what it says. But in the Greek, it says that they declared God's purposes as invalid. They declared God's purposes as invalid. So you see the two people, those that were oriented to the kingdom, desiring the kingdom they declared god's works as just but those who were not oriented to the kingdom what did they declare they declared god's purposes as invalid that god had no right to make that call that god had no right messing with this business god's works are invalid i think that there's a bit of a wordplay declare just declare invalid declare just declare invalid what is going on here i think that the spirit has been poured out on all people since the day of pentecost but when we are oriented towards god we say god you are so good you are so right in doing these things i want to receive i want to be a part of it and you keep drawing in and the spirit is released in his power and his authority in our lives but when when we are looking the other way, we start to nitpick and we start to say, God, you're not allowed to do that. God, you're not allowed to touch that. God, you're not allowed to declare that. Remember what the Pharisees did. They saw Jesus and they said, you can't declare the forgiveness of sin. You can't heal on the Sabbath. 
You can't do this. There was another time that they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, by what authority are you doing what you're doing? They got to the point where they were like, man, this guy's doing some crazy stuff. I can't, even, I can't even question that this guy can actually do things that most of us would only imagine is possible. But he's raising people from the dead that the blind can see. What do we attack him with? They didn't stop the thing. The guy that can raise the dead to life. There's something about what he's saying that we need to be listening. No, 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 no. Let's question his authority. And so they question his authority and they say, Jesus, where did your authority come from? And Jesus said, well, I'm going to ask you a question back. John's baptism, is it from heaven or not? And then they debated amongst themselves, well, we say it's from heaven. And they say, why didn't you believe? But we say it's from man. That everyone else is going to stone us. It's going to be really terrible. I missed the point. When we live unrepentant lives, the spirit is present, but we will not see it. When we live unrepentantly, we will think that what God is saying is optional. When we are living unrepentant lives, we will try to control the spirit. And we will try to say, this is what you do. See, as we go through this series, I want you to have a release of the Holy Spirit in your lives, a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you know what I'm asking you to do? To obey everything that the Holy Spirit is saying. Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, you know, the dove came in, the Holy Spirit came as a form of a dove and rested on him. What happened next? 40 days in the wilderness fasting. No food, no water for 40 days. And you know what it said after those 40 days? Jesus was hungry. Understatement. But why, do you, why is it in there? It's because when the Spirit leads you to do things that should be impossible, you will feel how impossible it is. He doesn't make it easy. You're going to fast, okay, and you're not going to let me be hungry, right? You're going to go speak to your friend about Jesus, and you're going to make it easy, right? You know, they're going to ask all the questions and basically open up the doors and just going to need to say Jesus loves you. No, no, no. You are going to feel how awkward it is looking them in the eye and thinking about how the heck do I talk about this hope that I have in Jesus. You are going to feel awkward. You're probably going to break out in cold sweats. You're probably going to feel like you did a terrible job. The Holy Spirit is not here to make you feel good. The Holy Spirit is not here to make you think that the trial that you're going through is any less of a trial. But the Holy Spirit is leading you in those ways because He's establishing the kingdom of God in you. And so whenever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you say, no, no way, what are you doing? You're declaring God's works and His purposes for you as invalid. You get to declare God's works and His purposes for your life as invalid. When I saw that, how dare I think that God's purposes are invalid? How dare we? How dare we look at what the Holy Spirit has given us and say, it's not that great. It's not what I thought it would be. When you say I would receive power, I thought I'd be able to fly. <laughs> I'm not flying right now, God. Maybe you got this wrong. 
I would feel more powerful. When you said you give me peace, I thought I'd be more peaceful. When you said that you love me, I thought I would feel more loved. When you said that I would be empowered for witness, I thought I would actually want to talk to my friends about you. You sure? In that moment, we declare God's works is just or invalid. I believe the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. Jesus tells us again and again, God loves to give us the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not withholding the Spirit from us. But sometimes we look at the gift that God has given us and go, oh, is that it? If we can get the band, if we can get the host team ready, we're going to have communion in this moment. When we see what Jesus did on the cross, that the kingdom is established through God dying on the cross. It doesn't make sense. When the Bible shows us that the power of the kingdom is found in the cross, a symbol of suffering and death, it doesn't make sense. But at the same time, when we stop trying to make sense of it in a logical way, and we start to go, God died for my sin, and He showed His love for me by being obedient unto the cross, should do something in me. Have you valued the cross? How have you valued the sacrifice of God to bring you into His kingdom, to give you the opportunity to receive the kingdom? When we talk about repentance, it's not just about saying I'm sorry for my sin, but it's saying I'm sorry for thinking and orienting the way my, my life the way that I have. And right now in this moment, I'm turning to you and what are we turning to, church? We're not turning to a king who is a tyrant. We're not turning to a God who would wield his power in ways that are unjust. We turn our attention, we turn our lives to a God who would come and walk on this earth as a man does in order that he could be the substitute for our sin in order that we could experience relationship with God once again, in order that we could be brought into His family, in order that we could be brought into His kingdom. One day we would experience no more suffering, no more pain, no more weeping, but only perfect joy in the Lord's presence. And that is all available to us through the cross, through the cross. And so as you take that bread and as you take that cup, 
They're just symbols. But I believe that this morning God wants to renew and refresh in us this wonderful gift that He has given to us. So you may take the bread and you may take the cup. It was a sign of Jesus' body broken for you and His blood that was shed for you. But now I want to transition us. Our time is running out. But I really want to pray for people this morning who are saying, God, you know what? I want to have a soft heart toward you. I want more of your spirit. I want your spirit released in me in a fresh and a new way. I don't want to just be gone about my life. I don't want to. In fact, you know what, God? I repent and I apologize for the times that I have declared that your works are invalid in my life. But God, right now, I want to declare that your works are just, that your word is just, that your actions are just, what you're saying in my life is just, what you have called me to is just, the purposes and the desires of my heart. Let them be aligned with you, Jesus. Let them be in alignment with your kingdom, God. I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. Come on, why don't we stand? I'm going to close in prayer, but I believe that there are some people that need to be in this space and you need to start to speak to God. You need to allow Him to bring His purposes back into your life, back into your life. There are some people here that need to repent for the fact that you've been trying to live life yourself. You've been trying to be in control of your life, but in that same moment, you have been declaring God and His works and His purposes as invalid. But right now, as you come back to Him, it's as easy as turning to Him. It's as easy as saying, God, I surrender. And I'm coming back to you, God. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So dear Jesus, the Heavenly Father, I thank you that your love, your love, your love is so unquenchable. I thank you that you have got such love when you turn to us and that when you see us. And God, I pray that we will respond to your love this morning. I pray that we will respond to your love this week. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as you speak to us, that we will live in obedience to what you are saying. And God, I pray that as we do so, we will start to see the life of the kingdom emerge and released in our lives. God, we thank you that the least of the kingdom is a great person. The least in the kingdom has great greatness in them because the Holy Spirit has already been given, has been given as a sign and a seal and a gift and an empowerment to each and every single person. So God, we pray for more. We pray for more in this place, God. We pray to God that we won't live in unrepentance, but God, that we would turn to you in your holy name, I pray. Amen. The band's going to lead us in worship. If you want prayer, why didn't you come forward? I really believe that God is wanting to do a great work in people's lives this morning. Thank you so much, church. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.